0: From AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor, this is Laugh Box, (laughs) the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Here's your host, Chip Lutz. Hello, friends, and welcome to Laugh Box, the official podcast for the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Today, and today only, I've got Ann Zuccardi. On the line. And I first met Anne in Philadelphia a few years ago at a National Speakers Association conference. I didn't actually know I was meeting her because I had a fresh cup of coffee. And I was sitting at this table next to this woman that was really pretty. And I opened up Twitter and I looked at it and a tweet said something. I'm going to club you over the head and steal your coffee. And um, then it was it was Anne and we've been buds ever since. At first I thought, well, that's kind of a weird text and then she was kind of laughing next to me and I realized oh that must be her (laughs) that was that was it and then a few years ago also in Philadelphia she keynoted for the association which was uh, very good she is a TEDx speaker a keynote speaker she is also an accidental neuroscientist which we'll get into a little bit later which will be pretty cool so welcome Anne.
1: hello chip thank you
0: Thank you. So, if you want to tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do, what's your what's your gig? What's your bag, baby?
1: Huh, what's my bag? Um, I do a lot of things. Um, I am primarily, first and foremost, right now, a graduate student getting my master's degree in English, believe it or not. Um, I've been waiting 33 years to do this, but I am a speaker and a writer. And I speak about creativity and neuroplasticity, which is the idea that our brains can change and make new neural connections throughout our lifetimes. I speak about innovation and um, laughter and how laughter helps our brains stay healthy and how it helps us learn. And most recently, I have become a laughter yoga leader. So I'm hoping to bring that into the corporate world to, um, help with, uh, communications and team building.
0: How fun. Mm-hmm. I'm interested on the whole neuroplasticity thing. Cause I know in high school, I killed a lot of brain cells mm. and I was just thinking, everybody said you never got them back. So I'm hoping that you're going to tell me something different today.
1: Well, um, you know, I know you were in high school a long, long, long time ago, as was I, and back then in the olden days, um, they believed that your brain was set for life. So once you reached a certain age, that was it, you know, you killed off some brain cells, that was it, that part of your brain was gone. But what we have learned since then, um, is this concept of neuroplasticity. So when, um, when certain neural connections are disconnected, like if you have a head injury, which I had um, a few years back, um, you can create new neural connections, new pathways to do the same things that you were used to doing. But that requires you, you know, going through some discomfort and trying lots of different ways of doing things. But the cool thing about that is we can do that right up until the day we die.
0: That is good news, because I really thought (laughs) I was... I was on a downward spiral. Cause I, I'm not going to tell you what I did to kill brain cells, Yeah. but well, did regular high school stuff.
1: Yeah, so, me too. And there's
0: hope. There's hope. We, there's, you know,
1: even though we are, you know, we are aging and it's slower now for us. We can still. I mean, I've even seen it in my father who has dementia. You know, I still see him uh, creating new pathways, and yes, you know, he forgets five minutes later what he's done, but it, it's
0: it's really cool to watch. How did you become an accidental neuroscientist?
1: So, um, that's a moniker I gave myself. That's not something I went to school for.
0: <laughs> um, you can't get a degree in accidental <laughs> neuroscience?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not really a neuroscientist, hence the uh, accidental piece of it. I fell in a bathtub in 2011. I fell in a bathtub in Germany and I had a um, traumatic brain injury, a mild traumatic brain injury, um, which mild only refers to the impact, not necessarily the long-term effects of that brain injury. So um, through that process of recovery, um, I learned a lot of things about how my brain worked and then later on, um, through my reading and through connections with people who were experts, I learned that I, what I was figuring out was actually backed up by science. So I was like, okay, I'm pretty brilliant. I already figured this stuff out. You know, I don't need, I don't need no scientific research. <laughs> and, <laughs> but I became very interested in, in, you know, the science behind how the brain works. So, um, so now that's what i speak about and i'm really interested in teaching other people how to be more creative and innovative and resilient and curious without getting whacked on the head
0: how did you know that uh, you fell you obviously hit your head how did you know it was worse than just the normal bump i mean what were some (laughs) of the things that were going on
1: well that took some time i mean every brain is different right and the kind of brain injury i had usually resolves itself within three or four weeks um when you just rest your brain so i came home from this trip to germany and i was just uh I was slurring my words and I was kind of walking like a drunkard and just you know acting kind of goofy and I thought well you know it's either jet lag or menopause or something so I was just you know I kind of blew it off but over the course of three or four days my symptoms got worse and worse and I woke up in the middle of the night one night and I was vomiting and I had the worst headache of my entire life and I was like gosh I really don't want it to end like this mm-hmm. so I went to the hospital and. Um, I had a CAT scan and they actually didn't even see anything on the CAT scan, told me to go home and rest. And um, that was the last I ever saw of my my corporate job and the life as, my life as I knew it prior to that. Yeah.
0: Just because it was that that bad where it it was Yeah.
1: Yeah. Now, like I said, typically, you know, these kinds of injuries resolve themselves after a few weeks. Um, But in my case, things kept getting worse. And my primary care physician didn't really know what to do with me, kept telling me to rest, kept telling me to take it easy, and nothing was getting better. Some things were getting worse. Um, so I, being the writer that I've always been and the social media um, presence that I've always been, started blogging about ex- my experience. Um, I started a blog called IWantMyBrainBack.com and wrote about my frustrations and wrote about how hard it was for me to... Figure out what kind of help I needed because on the surface I looked pretty normal. Um,
0: well, that's relative.
1: Yeah <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> so uh, this blog started getting a lot of traffic and I started hearing from a lot of people who are having similar experiences and finding resources that I needed and learning um, about what kinds of specialists I needed to see and and realizing that indeed every brain is different and you know, what might work for one person may not work for me. So, you know, I just started exploring all my options and being very um, assertive, um, because it was, um, I was pretty high functioning. So I was able to assert for myself, I can't imagine what it'd be like if I couldn't have. Mm -hmm. Um, So I got the help that I needed. And through that, um, started garnering some attention. And that's how I got my first TEDx
0: talk. So um, I've seen your TEDx talk, but I don't know if anybody else has. What are the things that you hit in that uh, that platform?
1: Um, My first TEDx talk was in 2013. It's called How a Brain Injury Made Me Smarter. And if you Google it, you can find it. um, But what I talked about is um, I kind of challenged conventional ideas about what makes people smart. Um, prior to my brain injury, I thought I was smart because I was always a good student and, you know, I was always a good earner and, you know, I was well-read and I could speak a bunch of languages and everything was just hunky-dory. And that's kind of how I define smart. And after the brain injury, I could not read. I had a hard time with reading, a hard time with writing, a hard time with just, you know, walking across the street and, you know, doing basic things. Um, and it kind of my whole ego just kind of took a nosedive and I became very depressed um, because Mm -hmm. everything that I had defined myself by was suddenly just gone. And I didn't know who the heck I was. Um, and through the process of my recovery and figuring out new ways to do old things that I wanted to do, I realized that what I was doing was actually creating new neural connections and being very creative. Um, which was, you know, I had always been creative prior to the brain injury. And I learned that I was building resilience. And I learned that curiosity also makes us smart, you know, always asking, you know, why, 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 like a three-year-old is what makes us smart. So um, the talk was about the things that I now believe make people smart. And it isn't necessarily about IQ and grades and all of that stuff. Thank God. Thank God, huh? <laughs> but, I
0: mean, that's how I ended up in the Navy. I, I think I graduated like 499 out of 600 in my class, and my dad oh was like,
1: "Oh my gosh!"
0: My dad was like, mm, "You got Z's in high school. I just don't see me paying for your college." So, it's nice to see that uh, I, there's still hope for me in my intelligence. That maybe I'm smart in other ways. Well,
1: there is. Just as a little <laughs> aside, my my undergrad. GPA was abysmal and I just like kind of drank and ate my way through my undergraduate degree. And now as a graduate student in my fifties, I'm like, you know, I got my first B last week and it was like a crisis. <laughs>
0: well, um, I teach, uh, some grad classes and I tell my, because my students always get upset. Well, how come, you know, I got a B on this and I like, cause it wasn't an A paper. I mean, I don't even want me to tell you. And then, and then I, that I explained to him is that since graduating college, or, you know, grad school, not once has anybody ever asked me my GPA exactly. ever, you know, I would want them to, because it's, it's one of those things, like I said, I, 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 out of 600 kids in my high school class, I got voted class clown. That's why my grades were bad. But, you know, I would, I would love for somebody to ask me my GPA now, but nobody ever has.
1: I know. So it's not Nobody cares except us, but nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> so I told my mother that I, I have straight A's now. And um, when I was when I was younger, we used to get um, a hot fudge sundae at at Friendly's, which is the local ice cream store. Right. When we were kids. So I keep emailing my mother and saying, "I want my damn Sunday <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's really funny. That's hilarious. With uh, looking at the whole creativity thing, and I know that you're a part of the association, and uh, but what are some things that have helped you? I would say, be more creative or bridge that gap in your brain, so to speak, since the, since the TBI?
1: Um, let's see. Uh, I would say the number one thing has been um, challenge to do things in a different way. I mean, you don't have to, to to be more creative, you don't have to go out and like, you know, learn how to play the cello or the violin or something like that. It's like, I mean, you can, and that certainly helps. But, I mean, it's like little everyday things. It's like, I always tell people when I do a keynote, um, I always ask them which hand they use to eat. And I explain that whatever hand you don't use is your non-dominant hand. And then I will challenge them to eat their lunch with their non-dominant hand and I'll sometimes I even give them a hashtag and I'll ask them to post pictures or tweet about the experience because when we do something a different way, I mean, it's hard, it's uncomfortable, you make a mess, you spill things all over yourself, you know, it's, it's dorky, but that's how you create a new neural pathway. Um, so it can be little things like that. It can be little things like, you know, driving a different way to work or, um, I don't know. Just doing a routine in a different order than you usually do it. That kind of just forces your brain to work a little a little harder, mm-hmm. and um, and 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 that aids in creativity. Um, the other thing that I have found really useful is humor <laughs> and play. Mm-hmm. Uh, no surprise. Um, since starting to do laughter yoga at first i thought it was some you know silly thing i didn't really realize there was What's like that? a science like, in
0: it you look at it when you're on the outside before you do it it's kind of like you know looking like it's a cult like what are these people doing? I
1: thought so. i thought it was just some what are they laughing
0: movies, about you know, yeah.
1: weird thing but then i started <laughs> reading about it and i started reading the science behind it and i mean it's real when we um, our brains do not know the difference between spontaneous laughter like when someone tells us a joke and manufactured laughter when we just look at each other and go <laughs> our brains don't know the difference both are equally good for us so if you do the the manufactured laughter combined with some breathing and stretching every day it's really good and um, and there is science to back this up so uh, you know, that's, that's really helpful. And what's good for me is I grew up in a very funny, goofy, silly family. So I've always had that in my toolbox, but I didn't realize it was like a real thing.
0: (laughs) Hmm. Neat. So, um, how has humor played into your, uh, the whole thing? You said that humor helps a lot with, uh, neuroplasticity. Hey, you know, what are some of the things that happen with humor?
1: Um, I think you know it's just it's our brains are wired for negativity right it's called negativity bias and um and that served us well back when we were cavemen you know because we had to be afraid we had you know it otherwise would be a tiger's lunch but that doesn't serve us so well anymore but our brains are still wired that way so if we can counterbalance that negativity bias with some laughter and gratitude and positive stuff. And I don't mean like fake positivity stuff. I mean real stuff like finding humor in goofy situations. Oh dear. I just tripped in the grocery store and spilled all my groceries. Like, ha, 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 ha. you know, it's it, like finding the humor in every day. It can be really helpful and that helps to counter that negativity bias that that fear that innate fear and anxiety that we all have
0: it's a, that's easier for some people than others isn't it have you found that i mean for me I, it's easy for me to find the humor in the situations even like really crappy situations there i i can laugh about it and find the humor in it but i know other people it's they have a lot more difficult time finding the humor in situations
1: It is really hard. So with people like that, like if I were to do laughter yoga in a business of like, you know, lawyers or CPAs, I'd have a very different approach than if I were to do it with first graders, you know, like, um, you know, you would go very lightly. And, you know, just really, I wouldn't make people hug and kiss and, you know, do do uh, crazy things. Um, So, yeah, but I mean, just the act of smiling creates endorphins and I'm sorry if you can't smile then
0: <laughs> I see, I seem to remember a couple of years ago there was maybe it was 3 or 4 years ago there was a report where uh Japanese cha- uh, transit workers had to um like smile into a machine and you know score like a 70 or better in order to clock in for work and what they found was the um it actually, you know, it improved their mood, but it gave them, you know, once they did that, since it improved their mood, they had better interactions with customers and so forth. I'm going to look and see where I can find that and see if it's still going on. Like if it was a study or something they really had to do or if it was just, but I just, you know, seem to remember that. And I, I'm from believer that very rarely will I smile at somebody and not get a smile back. Unless it's a really really creepy smile, you know, like if I'm smiling at some attractive woman and I'm like, hey, I I might not get a... um... Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) It might be a little more, might get something else in return, like a slap or something, but...
1: Yeah, or the finger or something (laughs) like that, yeah.
0: Which finger is that? Hmm.
1: (laughs) But that's true and I like yeah I'd be curious about that study that you were just talking about. I mean it's like, you know, common in customer service for people to um you know, look into a mirror and smile while they're talking on the phone. I have a mirror right next to my desk here that you can't see, but I frequently look in it to check my hair and smile at myself.
0: <laughs> I do that too with a mirror that I have, but what ends up happening is I usually leave, leave uh, lip prints on it. I'm just like <laughs> It's like, let's You, you look so sexy. Mwah, I just give myself a big kiss right there. It's really embarrassing. Then my wife goes and looks at the mirror and she's like, have you been kissing yourself again? I'm like, uh, no, I think the dog was licking it. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You spread peanut butter on the dog was licking it. Mm-hmm. I have been here too.
0: So you mentioned that your dad, um, has dementia, which is a difficult thing you know, as a child, you know, a family member to go through. Do you still yeah. find that there's there's humor that you can find in in that?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, my dad's the one who taught me about humor, and and you know, two years ago they gave him six months to live, and here he is two years later. You know, eating double portions of the nursing home. <laughs> And <laughs> his body is still pretty strong, but his brain is gone. So, um, but yeah, there's still humor in it. And I'm actually going to do some laughter yoga um, at at his nursing home. But yeah, his sense of humor is, is, is still pretty good. I mean, like, you know, it's on and off with dementia. You never know what's going to come out of their mouths. But, you know, sometimes things will come out of his mouth and uh, we'll just like roll over laughing because... It's like, where the hell did that come from? But he's always been that way. So right. it's it's cool. And I mean, you have to laugh because it goes on and on and on. And you're like, oh, and is this ever going to end? And you don't want it to end because you know what that means. But if you can't laugh, then it can be really depressing and it can really drag right. you down. And so what I've learned is that it's possible to hold two seemingly paradoxical Paradoxia—I don't even know how to say that. Two opposite emotions at the same time. So I can be very sad and full of grief, but I can also laugh at the same time, and that's okay, and that's actually good.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I know that uh, my dad didn't, didn't didn't have dementia, but he, he after his uh, stroke, he couldn't remember anything. He'd get all frustrated, and for a caregiver, uh, you know, the whole process is difficult but you know having a sense of humor and laughing at stuff really helped you know helped my mom and I connect but also helped us you know cope with the different you know situations that we were dealing with I remember yeah. last it was a couple of years ago my mom went to a quilt show and I went down to stay with my dad for four days and every day he wanted to go for a drive so we'd go for a little drive and finally one day because he'd live um, about an hour and a half from Springfield Illinois and I said you know tomorrow we should go to the Lincoln Museum go to the Lincoln Museum see that and I'll you know so Next day, pack up. We drive an hour and a half over. I push around in a wheelchair all through the Lincoln Museum and just had a grand old time. And my mom got home the next day, and I was so proud of myself. And I took Dad on this big adventure. Man, I'm such a good son. <laughs> and so I told my mom, I said, yeah, well, Dad and I, we went to the Lincoln Museum. And she looked at my dad and said, Gene, we've been there. And he's like, we have? I don't remember that. <laughs> and my mom and I, we just started rolling, just laughing because it was just so funny. That he'd been there before, but it was funnier to me because I was like, "Oh man, I'm such a great son, taking dad on a big trip, yeah, yeah. someplace he's never been before." And he'd already been there; he just remembered. It. So, it so was,
1: I got this great idea. I don't. This is kind of an aside, but same, same sort of thing. And and I came up with this idea, and and I think this would be good for for anyone dealing with dementia. Um, so, when I was a little girl, my dad used to read to me and tell great stories, just that he made up in his own head, but I remember one of my favorite books was the Amelia Bedelia books. I don't know sure. if you've ever read those, but Amelia Bedelia was a maid who takes everything very literally. So, um, you know, her her boss says to draw the curtains. So she draws the curtains, you know, with a pencil and a paper. And in one of the scenes, um, her instruction is to uh, buy a tri- buy a chicken and to dress it And so Amelia Bedelia takes that literally and she makes a little outfit for the chicken and dresses it. And there's a picture of a chicken with a little suit on. So when I was a little girl, my father used to read me that book. And whenever we got to that page, like I would know that page was coming up and I would sit there in anticipation because he would turn the page and he'd get to that page and he would just burst out laughing, like almost crying. He wouldn't be able to stop. So one of the things that I have done to connect with him now in his dementia in the nursing home is I'll read books from my childhood and I'll read that Amelia Bedelia book to him uh-huh. and it still happens I'll still say dad I'm getting to your favorite part and he just busts out laughing and we'll sit there laughing for five minutes I don't even know if he like I, I mean, he definitely remembers it it's long-term memory right that was like 50 years ago but um, so it's really cool. So that's been really helpful for us. I read these children's books and we just sit there laughing at the stupidity and absurdity of them.
0: Oh, but that's good stuff. And what, yeah. what, what great, uh, t- from my perspective, I mean, just what great memories, you know, you're going to have from that, Absolutely. Uh, on spending that time.
1: Yeah.
0: So you had one Ted talk. What was your second Ted talk? Was it in the same vein or was it something uh, different?
1: Nope. My second one, uh, first one was in 2013, second one was in 2014, and it was sort of um, a follow-on to my first one. It's called How Being Unsafe Makes You Smarter, and um, it was kind of following along with that idea of neuroplasticity. When we try things that are new or feel different to us, we make a mess, and that's kind of scary. And that's okay. And so I call that the safe unsafe. So, you know, trying new things that aren't like, you know, physically unsafe, but, you know, it just kind of put us out of our comfort zones. And for me, um, I tested my my safe unsafe by going to Haiti in 2014 and doing some medical mission work there. And, um, you know, I really didn't know if I had the physical stamina or emotional stamina to handle it. but you know, so I talked a little about what we learned what I learned and about how um, humans have this tendency when we know something like that's the way it is. you know we've all heard of confirmation bias. We tend to find the um, the ideas that confirm what we already believe, right mm-hmm. So um, in in challenging those um, and getting out of our safe zones and into you know sort of unsafe zones like, talking to someone who has a different political affiliation than you do, perhaps. That's that's very unsafe these days.
0: (laughs) Yes, it is. It's it's actually really safe on Facebook because people like will just spew all their bile out on, you know, Facebook. And I'm just like, man, so many angry people out there so
1: many angry and but there's so much confirmation bias going on there and if you watch it from an objective point of view and you watch it from like a curious point of view like you know you look at the stuff that people post and no matter what what way you feel about what's going on you notice that people post the things that confirm what they already believe Mm -hmm. whether it's true or not is another you know another thing but you know, so, like, really stepping out of the anger and the feelings and looking at, like, well, you know, does this confirm what I already believe or, you know, how does this challenge me is, is really good for our brains. And, you know, asking hard philosophical questions that have no answers to them, that's really good for our brains, too. That's why meditation and prayer are so good for us.
0: <laughs> hmm, are you doing that now? I'm it looks thinking like about the, the questions I don't have answers to. Like, if four out of five people suffer from diarrhea, does that mean one person actually enjoys it? (laughs) Hmm, deep thoughts. Suffering is a choice. Suffering is a choice. That is awesome. Now we talked yeah. before you know, with the whole neuroplasticity thing, and uh, we had talked about you know play being a part of that, and we talked about like you know, what I would call and you would call neuroplasticity, and, you know, using play to expand your those uh, and make those new connections in your brain. What are some of the things that you found with play and how it relates to making your brain a little healthier?
1: Um, I. I think that you know. You think about children. You know, go to a playground and watch children play. Not like in a creepy kind of way, but like <laughs> don't be a creeper. But right. watch.
0: Don't get the don't get the police involved.
1: Yeah, just <laughs> so, just. I mean, but just watch. I mean, like a child can take anything. Well, some most children, uh, but take anything and make something out of it. You know, I remember my daughter making dolls out of Legos, I'm like, that's not a doll, that's a Lego, but, um, but just watching kids do that, I think, and, and joining in with it, 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 people think, like, that's, you know, idle time, but it's really good for our creativity, um, even things like, um, I don't know, I, I hula hoop, I have a hula hoop, going outside and hula hooping, and, you know, just getting your body moving, everybody, all the science points to that when our bodies are moving, our, our brains are more um, active as well.
0: Right. Um, I remember in uh, uh, Dr. John Medina's book, uh, Brain Rules, I'm sure you've read that. But I love about, that book. Yeah, where he, he talks about our brains are... <laughs> meant for you know walking 20 miles a day that's the amount of oxygen that they need in order for us to really function optimally and that uh, most of us don't get near the the amount of oxygen to our brains that we need but it's funny you say hula hoop because i have never been able to hula hoop you know i've got rhythm i've got rhythm i just i'm not coordinated enough i can't do it i end up looking like like i'm having some kind of seizure or something that's what it looks like
1: i could teach you i i you give me 20 minutes i could teach you i know i could
0: 20 minutes with Anne Zuccardi and she can teach me to hula hoop. I could. That sounds, that sounds um, you're, I'm up, I'm in for the challenge. Bring it okay. to April. In yeah. April to the in conference.
1: April I'll bring my travel
0: hoop. How? <laughs> shut up. You have a travel hoop?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's It awesome. snaps
1: together. It's pieces that snap together and it makes a big hoop. It, you're, you'll, we're doing it.
0: I had no idea there was such a thing. I've learned so much yeah. today. But, I'm a certified
1: uh, hoop instructor.
0: I didn't know there was one of those either. Yeah. You are a woman of many talents.
1: Yeah. I'm a Renaissance um, one. <laughs>
0: many, many <laughs> <talents>. That's funny. <laughs> so you have any recommendations for people? Yeah, I mean, they don't have to have a TBI to be more creative and be more innovative and to, um, you know, make new connections in their brain. What are some things, you know, just like quick tips you would suggest for people just to keep their brains healthy?
1: Um. First thing, sleep
0: more. <laughs> really?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, sleep or lack of sleep is so bad for our brains. And there's lots of science coming out around that too. And I think, you know, I think in, in, in our culture, we look at sleeplessness at this as this virtue, you know, I worked, I worked 16 hours today and I only slept for 4. I'm so wonderful. Oh, and and you know and, and that's really doing damage to your brain. Um sleep is when your brain clears out uh lots of that um uh what's it called? Uh anyways,
0: yep. clears out all the crap.
1: Clears out the crap. Yeah, that's that's, that's a te- that's a, that, is,
0: that is a scientific uh, scientific technical term I just used right there. Yeah, I'm crap. Yeah.
1: Um but but sleep is really important. I I have to sleep now because the brain injury. Um, I just can't function with less than seven hours of sleep a night. Um, so I would say sleep. I would say also to feed your brain with good foods. Um, fish oils are suppo- are very good. I mean, there's so many supplements out there on the market now. You know everybody's selling a supplement for something. But, you know, omega-3 fatty acids found in fish like salmon, and you can buy them in supplements too, are scientifically proven to be good for our brains and good for our hearts. Anything that's good for your heart is good for your brain. So exercise, mm-hmm. you know, good food. But here's an interesting fact. Your brain, um, I think, uh, let me, I hope I get this right. Your brain makes up about 3% of your body weight. Um, but it requires about 20% of your caloric intake. Really? To properly. Um, so you really, you know, so sugar is, is just about the worst thing you can be doing. Um, and good, you know, high protein, omega-3 fatty acids are the best things you can be doing. So, um, and, you know, you don't have to change everything and become like, you know, some health food nut. But, but certainly just being aware of that and adding a little bit can help. I'm not a nutritionist, but... You know, I know these things are true.
0: But you have stayed at a Holiday Inn Express. I <laughs> have. <laughs> I don't, I know, have. If you, I don't know if you times. can hear it. Now. I've got, uh, I live on a farm, so like the roosters are right outside the window where I'm recording this, and they're like cock-a-doodle-doo, and I don't know if you could hear that or not, so I wonder. Ex-
1: I can't hear it. That's so
0: funny. I'm glad that you can't. Oh, I, I'm gl- I was like, oh man, I hope those don't come through, but if they do, everybody knows now that uh, I have chickens and roosters. So you know, eating good food, getting plenty of sleep. That's
1: so fun. What
0: what else can uh, people do?
1: Um, moving more, of course. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, laughing more. I mean, these are all things anybody can do. Trying to do things in a different way. Um, trying to brush your teeth with your opposite hand. Trying to eat a meal with your opposite hand. Um, getting dressed in the dark. I, I don't know anything. Like be fun. Have fun with it.
0: Getting dressed in the dark. I've gotten undressed in the dark, but I don't think <laughs> I'll <I've> ever get- <laughs> We're gonna keep this PG. But um, those are all good. I'm gonna try some of those just to challenge my brain because so I I'm, I love routines. I L O V E love my routines. And yeah. it, usually when I have to step outside my comfort zone, I usually step out pretty big just to kind of like jolt my system. But I do find that when I do that, you know, I have it, it, one, I have new experiences that yeah. you know, help me out. But two, I usually, you know, jar, jar something in my brain was like, oh, I never thought that, you know, this is the case. Just like what I was telling my kids with um, their undergraduate studies when they're going to school, they're, like, oh, I hate this class. And I said, you know what? I've never taken a class. That I didn't get something from. It you know, I didn't think the teacher was trying to get across to me, but I always it would always it was like uh, uh, brain aerobics where it's like you know, well uh, this connects with that, connects with that, and so for me, I, I always try to be a lifelong lifelong learner because it helps me just keep my brain a little more active um, as well.
1: Yeah. Yep. So. And and as we get older, you know, as we become more, as we adult more. Um, You know, we do become more set with our routines and our rituals. And so, you know, just slap yourself now and then and, you know, and just, you know, have a day of non-routine, non-ritual.
0: Slap yourself or have somebody else slap you. That works too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's your military background. You guys like everything, you know, just so. I know that. Well, it is. (laughs) Well,
0: and you're married to a military guy. That's what's so great about uh, my wife, Gwen, is that uh, she is completely always just in the moment. she, it drives her crazy that when I travel, I'll just stay in the hotel room the whole week. she's like, "Why don't you out go and do something? Do something!" I'm like, "What do I need to do? I've got four walls. I got cable TV. I got Wi-Fi, Netflix. I got it all. I got it all right here. I don't need to do anything. So, um, she always is pushing me outside my comfort zone. So I get out, get a get out of my routine, which is
1: yeah,
0: yang to my yang.
1: Yeah, this sounds so familiar.
0: <laughs> is that what you do? <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh, yes. Brian, like, yeah, I mean, everything is neat and organized and he's also an engineer. He's also a mechanical engineer. So like everything's got to be symmetrical and organized in his little piles and his, we have side by side walking closets and I open mine and it's like, there's just stuff everywhere and color everywhere. You open his and there's his uniforms and then there's his play shirts and then there's his jeans and it's all organized by sleeve length and color. And I'm like, ugh, ugh.
0: <laughs> sounds like my kind of guy. I remember ugh, being, I remember being in, a, in a client's office one time and I was just, we were sitting there talking about an event that I was coming up for and the things on her desk were a little bit just dis- discombobulated. So I started like just put them in nice little stacks. And she was looking at me like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> it was like, I can't, I can't help it. It was just, I just, I, I want them symmetrical. So yeah, do well, you
1: organize the dishwasher, too? Like, when uh, you move the dishwasher, do you no. organize it for optimal efficiency?
0: No, I do not. Okay. So, but I don't have a dishwasher. I just wash dishes.
1: Oh, God. Who does that? I'm old school. Okay. I, you know, I use
0: palm olive, so it keeps my hands nice and clean, you know, clean <laughs> and, you know, pretty and so forth.
1: That's nice. You do have lovely
0: hands. Well, thank you. Just remember, Madge, from we were growing up, you're smoking, you're soaking in palm olive. <gasps> <I'm>, what? <we're, laughs> We're going way back to Mr. Whiffle times. Well, Anne, I have had a really good time talking to you. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I mean, you should go to Ann's uh, website. What is your website? So if you want to tell everybody where they can find you.
1: Um, Anzacardi.com, A-N-N-Z-U-C-C-A-R-D-Y, and I'm the only Anzacardi, so if you Google me, there's, like, you'll know who it is. <laughs> And I'm all over social media, too.
0: She is all over social media. If you Google her name and, you know, look at the images, one, it's just images that come up. And I am waiting, just waiting for one bad picture. I've said, you this said, like, Ann has never taken a bad picture in her entire life. Even oh, yes last, her. I've never seen them. I mean, you keep them well hidden. Even last year when we were at the... Um, uh, at the National Speaker Association yeah. conference and you had I had an accident and you had I think it was a little bit of a uh, was it a black eye? Oh yeah. yeah yeah. Even that picture was great. I was like I was like, yes, I finally get to get a bad picture of Anne. And then we took it and it was like, What the heck? How come I look like a <laughs> a middle aged hog, but Anne looks awesome, even with a black eye. It's crazy. <laughs> crazy. Well, I certainly appreciate you spending a little time with us. I know people will get some great benefit um listening to um you know, strategies you were given for keeping your brain a little bit healthier. I highly suggest everybody to go to Ann's website, check it out, watch her TED Talks. They're really interesting, really good stuff. And if you need a little more information on uh, AATH, uh, go to our website, AATH.org. That's um, ath. yeah, asswithalisp.org. Check it out. Check us out. Consider coming to the conference and maybe you can uh, learn to hula hoop with Ann. So thanks again for being with me.
1: Thank you and I'll see you
0: in Orlando. I will see you there. Thank you. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. LaughBox is made possible by a grant from the National Speakers Foundation and is brought to you by AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Find out more at aath.org. Be sure to review LaughBox on iTunes. For show notes and more information about today's conversation, visit laughbox.aath.org.